That must be a good sign. All right. Okay. Started recording. Okay. The best. Hey, Joe. Hey, Emily. The first. 15 that the lithium market was showing signs of of movement. Um, A lot of people were talking about EVs and the potential of EVs. This was in early 2015. As many members of the lithium community know, I did a crowdfund for a short film that I wrote and directed. And even a little bit about our culture too. Like I feel that's an important element to be sharing with with people outside the company. And and yes, that is a deliberate strategy. Um, You're listening to the Global Lithium Podcast. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Zolandes, a Brinefield services company providing real-time, actionable data that is saving both exploration companies and producers money in both drilling and completion activities. Find them at www.zelandez.com. Hey, Joe. Hey, Emily. Are you ready for another episode of the Global Lithium Podcast? I am ready for the 50th episode of the Global Lithium Podcast. I was actually just going to ask you, Joe, if I looked uh, older in podcast years today. Well, you uh, are aging relatively well, so I think we'll just leave it at that. So, Joe, talking about 50 podcast episodes, that's, that's quite a few. Um, do you have any musings or or thoughts on on the journey that you want to share before we get into the meat of the episode? Well, I would just say that um, when we got into this almost two years ago, um, and of course, we really didn't know each other when we started doing this. And my thought was, ah, maybe we'll do if it's if it's really has traction, maybe we'll do 12 a year. And here we are, 22 or so months later doing number 50. So it's been a little, uh, it's been a little bit of a surprise to me that uh, the podcast was so well received and so many people were kind enough to give us their time and really help educate us and the lithium world. So it's been good so far. I had a fun moment uh, a few weeks ago when I was at a conference in Denver where I was standing in line getting a plate full of bacon for breakfast and I think yelling at somebody about Argentina's economy. And out of nowhere, someone came running up behind me and said, are you are you Emily from the podcast? Because they recognized me by my voice. And I thought that was pretty cool. Well, I mean, I think you've had that, also had that experience. I mean, we've had that experience at conferences. If you remember the the group from Korea that, came up and asked if we were the broadcasters and I think I Koreans love the broadcast I gave them a quizzical look and I said oh podcast so yes it had it has been an interesting almost two years and uh, so uh, I think 50 is a good number to kind of reflect and so why don't you tell me what your a few of your favorite podcast moments are or were well as i have i kind of have you know my sense of humor uh it's a bit glib 
I enjoyed quite a bit the podcast where we I felt like we got to know our guests a little bit and when the recording circumstances were a bit wacky. I had a very good time with Dr. Gao from Pulid in our um, marijuana smelling upstairs studio in a hostile rock and roll type neighborhood in Santiago, Chile. Um, not only did I have a good time with Dr. Gao and got to see him kind of rolling with the punches and, and having a good sense of humor, but I learned some things about the, the battery manufacturing process and the cathode manufacturing process that you can really only get by asking questions to somebody who's been not just in the industry, but has been in the labs and has been in the process for years, um, innovating and building and learning the, you know, by trial and error. Uh, I loved the episode we did with Tom Benson from Lithium Americas because we did it from a hotel room from the tiny mic. And so we kind of had Tom sandwiched awkwardly in between us while he explained to us, you know, how lithium uh, is the result of volcanic geological uh, activity, you know, <laughs> like, you know, talking with all his degrees and being like, well, it may be a bit pedantic to explain this way. And we're like, oh, no, pedantic is fine. Um, enjoyed David Deke in China quite a bit. And I, I like the first episode that you and I also did um, by ourselves, which I think was episode five, Flying Blind, just because the the I got a kick out of, you know, Joe and Emily try to use sophisticated-ish to us uh, technical equipment for recording. Um, but I think, yeah, those are my top moments. What about you? Well, I would say that um, because I've had, you know, some really historic, long relationships with some of our guests, some of the ones we did with with people I've known for quite a while is are probably some of my strongest memories. And the people that I've known the longest would, of course, be my family. And uh, I, I realized that uh, my family podcast may have been a honor for some people that are dying for more lithium facts. But um, Alexi. <laughs> Oh, sorry. In, I had uh, Alexi in my throat. <laughs> well, I mean, I think Alexi probably did listen to that because he actually we did a podcast with him the same day. Uh, but Alexi probably played them both on double speed as he is wont to do. Uh, but no, the podcast with my family is one of my favorites. Um, the podcast we did in Buenos Aires after the gang fin guys had met with President Macri and we had both. Uh, Gangfen and Lack and back to back episodes. So we had, you know, Mr. Lee, Wang Shao Shen, John Evans, John Kanalitsis, Tom Hodgson. So that was a good group. And then we had the uh, some of the other Lack team urging us to finish so they could get them to the airport. Um, that was that. That's a good, really good memory. Um, and I also have to say the Eduardo Betran because it seemed when we started doing the podcast. The idea that Eduardo Betran would be on a podcast with me as his, one of his arch nemesis in the lithium world uh, just was, you know, kind of, you know, it just seemed implausible. And, you know, almost just a year later, uh, he was on the podcast with us. And, of course, uh, because of his high profile in Chile and some of the high profile he has in the lithium world, he has by far the most downloads that episode has 80,000 plus downloads, which for a niche podcast like ours is a pretty big number. And if I start to name a lot of other names, I mean, I, I did like you love the gal podcast, uh, the ones with John Evans, we have several with, you know, 
multiple, you know, there's, there's several people that have been more than one time guests. And of course we have a three Peter in Chris Berry. So since Chris Berry was <laughs> our original podcast guest, and if he had not volunteered to be on that episode, there may not be a global lithium podcast because I certainly not knowing you at the time, uh, didn't want to go to the Buenos Aires ghetto, uh, with a stranger. And, uh, listen, Joe, I just want to put it out there that we've been to way more ghetto studios since that first podcast. I think you, you'd probably go back and be like, this podcast studio is not so bad. That's, that's probably true. But anyway, I'm sure many of our listeners don't want us to spend a lot of time going down memory lane. <clears throat> Alexi. But- Sorry, I, uh, I am I not sure why you keep saying Alexi, but uh, it may just be because he is one of our he's he's a regular listener. I was always interested to hear that he tends to listen to it on double speed or at least one point five. Uh, I don't think I could listen to a podcast that way. But of course, Alexi does a lot of oddball things. So shout out to you, Alexi. Um and uh, hopefully as you kayak the waters near Vancouver, as you listen to this, uh, you will appreciate the shout out. Well, Joe, now that we've talked about our feelings, which I'm, trust me, always into doing, um, let's get down to the question that probably people have been banging down your door since you got back from vacation to ask, where's the bottom? Are we in the bottom? Well, um, yeah, that that is a popular question these days, and it seems to, in the last couple months, be much more a prevalent uh, question. And uh, I think I I won't say I won't call about them uh, to sentiment or to uh, especially the low end, the non-battery quality lithium price. But I think we are near a bottom. And I think the other point I will make is that I think once we kind of settle at a bottom level, we might stay there for nine or 12 or 15 months before there's a real uh, turnaround. Because, you know, it, this industry has has surprised me by how much it, I mean, all, all markets are driven to some extent by emotion, but the lithium industry seems uh, even more so than others uh, that I've invested in. More bipolar than most. Could be. uh, And, you know, a little bit of lithium humor uh, brought to the podcast. So Joe, going back to the the sort of idea, I want to talk about two different bottoms. Um, one being, is there a bottom for pricing? And another being, is there a bottom for sentiment slash lithium stock prices? Um, looking at, you know, physical pricing first of product. When you, you know, when you've made a big deal, you know, Joe Lowry bangs the drum of, you know, battery chemicals versus low end product. Um, how much divergence have you seen between those two prices? And then, is there an oversupply? And if so, where do you see it? Well, let's talk about the, the, the history of lithium pricing over maybe the last 10 years. And one of the big misnomers is that, that has been out there for a long time was that historically battery quality products sold at a premium uh, to 
you know, industrial grade or, or you know, kind of the uh, technical product. Because honestly, for most of the most of the last ten and even more years, because of the size of the customers, the the people, the glass guys who are buying industrial grade tended to be on average smaller than the battery guys from a demand standpoint. And a lot of times they actually paid a premium, but the the narrative in the industry was always that, oh, we're going to make battery, you know, of juniors, we're going to make battery quality and we're going to get a premium to the market. As we go forward uh, in, you know, both John Evans and, and Paul Graves talked about this, that it seems that as the demands of the cathode customers get more and more stringent. There will be more nuance in pricing and there will be honest premiums for battery quality in the future. Now to get back to your, your question on, on the bottom and, and, and on pricing, uh, I, I see right now that people that write about it, the, the, the mining.com type people, they're always talking about this big price crash and then trying to draw analogies from, you know, the recent past on, you know, the desperate straits of the lithium market. Well, the fact of the matter is that right now, if you look at, you know, SQM, who I, I think is a good barometer of, of price that in their, their the last month, the data is readily available. They had a very large dispersion in their high to low, you know, one that we haven't seen in, in, in quite some time, but they're How big? Uh, almost almost 10,000 a ton, which is a pretty big variance, especially when their average is average price is just a little under 10,000 a ton. So the high, the high being in the 15 range and the low being just under six, that is, well, we'll, we'll get into a little later, get into some more detail on that. But I mean, my point would be that their key customers in, in Korea and Japan and uh, are, are still paying double digit prices. So this, you know, the sky is falling on price. You know, it may be a little lower than I thought it would go this year, but it's still kind of in the in the range that that I've talked about. It's in the range that Benchmark talks about. It's in the range that uh, Daniela at Signum Box talks about. And, you know, they, they, they've both kind of framed it. Daniela did it in Santiago at the Lithium Conference and Benchmark in their most recent presentations have kind of an 11 to 13 is a, is a fair long-term range, even though you, you might see uh, digressions from that this year and maybe into early, mid next year. But the point being that if you go back to 2015, the price for battery quality in Korea was less than half of that price in 2015. So four years ago. So prices right now, even after this sharp fall off that people talk about, are still almost double what they were four years ago. And Korea was the lowest price. Japan was a little bit higher, just over 5,000. And China was a little bit higher than that in 2015 before the, uh, the spike uh, happened at the end of 15, beginning of 16. The, I would call the, the pricing bubble. Joe, I want to I wanna sort of Going into the SQM in that price range, I think there was a report by, I don't know, which, I don't remember which bank, but the saying that, you know, China, or excuse me, that SQM is finding new markets for its product by selling into China. And I think that you made the comment on Twitter that SQM has always sold product into China and it's not a quote new market, but it's a fundamentally different product because of the quality. 
Well, yeah, let's let's take take both parts of that. I mean, yeah, I mean, Morgan Stanley made a really irresponsible comment in one of their last updates saying that's weird, saying that, uh, yes, so SQM, it's a new market. Well, in fact, and, you know, I have data going back to the 90s and one of the first big contracts SQM signed was actually with Xinjiang non-ferrous metals back in the late 90s. It was, you know, they they so they they really got, uh, you know, kickstarted by the China market. They've they've sold in China since that time. There have been a couple of times when market conditions saw them exiting for a brief period of time. But for Morgan Stanley to say, oh, you know, SQM's going after this new market in China, it's it's just it's you know, it's just bad information that confuses people. Now, they're Recent very low price sales in in China, uh, I think, are indicative that they they've always used China in in a couple of ways, and one of them was to you know there there's a lot of reprocessing capacity in China. Uh, there's always been people that make chloride or make uh, other lithium chemicals that would use off spec lithium carbonate for feedstock for downstream activities, and you know SQM's availed themselves of China on one hand for a long, long time to get rid of product that they they couldn't sell in other markets. So, I mean, that's that's nothing new for SQM. But they also sell regular quality product in China, and, and they always have. So when we then go to the other bottom in question, um, and we look at, is there a bottom coming up or are we at a bottom for sentiment in in stock prices. How related is sentiment to this perception of an oversupply versus what pricing actually looks like? Obviously, they are they are interrelated. But where do you think which one do you think sentiment is most related to or to 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 frame the question in another way? What would you have to see to be like, yep, we're at a bottom of investor sentiment? Well, I mean, I I use I do a lot of calls um, with various uh, interested parties, and in the questions that I field are, are, you know, an anecdotal barometer for me of of what what people are thinking, and and you know the the kinds of the kinds of investors that are that are doing the calls is also very instructive. But you know what I I, I think you got to look at it at two different aspects, and. There are there are people out there that believe the old, whole oversupply narrative because they can't parse the fact that aspogamine concentrate oversupply is not necessarily an oversupply to the battery industry because you cannot make a cathode with spodumene concentrate. It has to be converted into a lithium chemical. So there's various parts of the supply chain, even just the lithium supply chain, that could be in a state of oversupply, even for an extended period, and it doesn't mean lithium chemicals, and particularly battery quality lithium chemicals, are, are in a state of oversupply. So, yeah, I see oversupply in spodumene concentrate, and, you know, anytime you you go from a, a situation where three years ago uh, we had one, one massive mine operating in Western Australia, and now we've got several mines operating in Western Australia, and uh, you know we've seen we've seen the spodumene price go up in, into the 900s and then fall back into the fives, and you know most most of the new mines can't make enough money to do their 
phase two or phase three, if they're only getting 500 in the 550 or plus 550 plus or minus range. So, you know, we're going to see that all shake out, but ultimately I believe all those new mines material is going to be needed in the next five to seven years as the EV market takes off. This episode of the Global Lithium Podcast is brought to you by Zolandas, a Braunfield services company that specializes in real-time technology services and solutions that improve customer performance. Low confidence data, lack of actionable insights, multi-day turnaround, sound familiar? Delays and budget runovers are a constant threat, and without that data, projects don't advance. Zolandas offers an exclusive borehole magnetic resonance service that characterizes the in-situ porosity and permeability of your mineral resource faster and more accurately than conventional methods. Zolandas brings a new way of doing things to the lithium brine space. To learn more, head to zolandas.com. So, Joe, let's pretend I'm a pretty shit friend. Um, and for our 50th podcast anniversary, I'm going to give you pick a pick somewhere that's like essentially a spodumene mine at the middle 60% mark of the cost curve in Australia. I'm not going to name any names, but if I were to be like, here, Joe, happy 50th. I got you the 50th podcast anniversary is the spodumene mine anniversary. Here's a spodumene mine. Is there a solution for these guys? Like, you know, is, is, is the solution right? The, it needs to be converted into a chemical. So we just need to build a bunch of conversion capacity or what would you do with that mine besides send me a thank you note? Well, if I were to get a unnamed mine and it was... You can name it Emily if you want. <laughs> no. If it's uh, average, Joe. I'd probably name it Fiona, but... Um, if, if I had the Fiona mine and I, I had a hundred percent control of it and I had a, uh, I, I would probably use the contacts I have in the middle kingdom, AKA China, uh, sign some agreements and, um, you know, try to keep my head down and, you know, be at least slightly cash positive until, things improved but i i honestly believe that all these mines you know we had too many come on at once it it caused a, a blip in concentrate supply but uh if i had one of these mines in my control uh i would have you know you know one of the problems that most of the mines had was that they they had offtake partners that didn't have chemical capacity and you know that that was a strategic blunder on their part because, uh, you know, these, there was a lot of, uh, shall we say, irrational exuberance on both the part of the, some of the Australian producers and some companies in China that thought they were going to just jump into the battery or cathode business, uh, supply to the cathode business. And, you know, a lot of these projects, and there was a very long list of, you know, planned conversion capacity in China that, that didn't get built. And, and some of them were the underpinnings of some of the juniors in Australia's business plans. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to go through a laundry list of specifics. Anybody can, 
if somebody's really interested in that, they can do a little research of their own and, and find out that what I'm saying is absolutely correct. Well, Joe, would you would you just sign agreements with converters or would you build converging capacity in Australia or would you invest in a converter in China? No, in the, in the short term, I, I personally know some converters that aren't particularly happy with the supply they're getting. And I think I could take any one of those mines and and make viable viable deals that wouldn't you know would be at least cash flow neutral or positive even in this negative circumstances and that would position me very well for when things improve but that's is all hypothetical and i would rather get into some specifics okay well i'm gonna switch gears and ask you about a news story i'm gonna ask um a question that is sort of peripheral to a news story um because we're not going to get into the specifics but there was an announcement i think a couple of days ago that tesla has acquired um a uh another battery or another cathode another battery cell startup not a cathode a battery cell making startup in canada um and one of our friends casper uh, of Benchmark, who hasn't been on the cast yet, but has a very nice beard, which would sound great on a podcast, um, put something up on Twitter saying that this goes along with the narrative that Tesla's looking to make its own in-house cell-making strategy. So rather than commenting on whether or not that's true, because I know you don't like to share with the rest of us what you and Elon talk about um, on, on WeChat, but if Tesla is going to make moves to make its own battery cells. How does that impact the lithium supply chain? And do you think that other battery, excuse me, other OEMs, other car makers might in the future take similar steps? Does it make sense from their standpoint? Well, I mean, BYD's always had a level of vertical integration. I mean, they were they were a battery maker before they got into the car business. But, um, you know, I, I, I think as has been the case for the most of the last seven or eight years. Everything Tesla does gets uh, too much attention. I, I think the fact that if they start making their own cells, that will be a supplement to their overall supply chain. I don't, I don't think they'll walk away from the Panasonic relationship. Uh, I think as Tesla grows, and it's particularly with the the um, situation in China with the Gigafactory in China, because it is in China, that will cause certain changes in their supply chain that way, both from a cathode and a cell standpoint. And you know, I I just don't see this as a big deal. I see it as part of the evolution of Tesla. But the real question isn't, do they make their own cells? It's who makes the cathodic materials that the lithium chemicals go into. And, and, you know, I think Elon's always wanted to have multiple suppliers for his batteries. And I think ultimately, you know, that that happens. And this is just uh, a part of that natural evolution. So I, I, I agree with Casper, but from a lithium perspective, it's it's not a big disruption to the supply chain um, at all. All right. Well, I think that that that's all the serious topics that I had noted down. Are there any more serious things that you would like to talk about? Well, I think if you go back to the the bottom question, 
and you look at even as recently as you know the last few weeks Abelmarle did a presentation at a, at a Credit Suisse event and you know they re reiterated their you know million ton estimate for demand in 2025 SQM had an investor day and and they're a little less bullish but they come in at 800,000 it, which is you know slightly less than some of the numbers they were talking about last year but in either case uh, if you if you say that even 800s 800,000 if that's the number that's still a stretch for this industry to supply given the fact that almost all the growth in the next five to seven years is going to be on the battery side and you're going to have to have higher quality than even the big you know the the, the big four big five players don't make uh even 90 percent battery quality materials so as all these new plants come on the quality's got to be better And um, I think when you look at, you know, the who's a believer, who's not a believer, and you look at... I'm a believer. When you look at sentiment, um, if, if you believe in the EV revolution, then it's just a matter of, I don't know when the hockey stick in demand happens, whether it's 22 or 24 or, you know, split it and call it 23. But if if demand's going to go from 270 in 2018 to a million or even 800,000 in 2025, uh, that is significant growth. And no matter what people will tell you about the oversupply of spodumene concentrate, there is a lack of investment in lithium chemicals that is going to rear its ugly head in the next two or three years. And I believe that the development of EVs uh, is going to be slowed by a lack of high-quality lithium chemicals, and that will result in price pressure in the upward fashion. All right. Well, I have a couple rapid-fire questions for you based on your recent return from a a hike, or you did the Walk of St. James in Spain, if I'm not mistaken. The Camino de Santiago. Yes, I did. The f- oh, look at that. Espanol, Joe. Muy bien. Gracias. So uh, the first question I have for you is, what's something that you learned, something that surprised you from your sort of time spent with yourself? Well, I mean, one of my fears going over there was that I would be bored out of my mind because I was going to be walking all day, every day for 10 days. And, you know, so I loaded up my phone with podcasts and I have a lot of music on my phone anyway. And it became abundantly clear from day one that I didn't need any of that, that just being disconnected and observing my surroundings and nature. And I I walked most of the time alone, even though I was with a group of eight people. And, uh, you know, I talked to, you know, I met, had casual conversations with a lot of strangers, but I really enjoyed the disconnected time, the alone time, uh, the getting up in the morning and knowing the only thing I had to be concerned about was where I was going to stop and have a cortado or where I was going to, you know, walk because 
I mean, we had a, we had a destination planned every day, but it was just great being disconnected for two weeks because people don't tend to disconnect these days for, you know, more than a few hours. And what was something that was really difficult that you didn't see coming? There really wasn't. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you what was difficult that I didn't see coming was we ate every night what was is called a pilgrim meal. And, and you know, while we were on the walk, a couple nights before the walk, we didn't. And a couple of nights after we didn't. But the pilgrim meal in some of these small towns, the food is pretty good. But sometimes the wine was really bad. And life is too short to drink bad wine. So I made a strategic decision after about day four that if it was bad wine, I was going to walk out, buy some good wine and bring it back into the room. So, I mean, that is that is as difficult a situation as I got into was that uh, the pilgrim meal sometimes had some uh, either watered down or just what would I would call undrinkable red uh, wine that's much like episode two of the Global Lithium podcast, difficult to consume. We, 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 we love almost all of the podcast episodes, but there might be that odd one that is, is kind of the, shall we say, the redheaded stepchild. Well, listen, Joe, I think that I know that this year for Christmas, you're going to get a uh, Spanish wine skin from me embossed with the Global Lithium logo. I think that you'll get some, some mileage out of that. Well, um, let me ask you a couple of things, Emily. So, uh, is, as I recall, we haven't done a podcast in about six weeks, but you haven't been back in Argentina during that whole six weeks until a couple days ago. So what were you doing sojourning around the United States of America? Uh, so I did some, uh, meetings in Washington, DC with ambassadors from lithium deposit owning countries. Uh, we may have the ambassador to Bolivia or from Bolivia to the U.S. on this podcast soon, Joe. So shout out to Pedro if you're listening. Um, I did some meetings in New York. I spent quite a bit of time actually in Colorado, both at the, the Beaver Creek, a gold summit and then a gold conference and then Sam Jaffe's battery event. So I got to spent some time with uh, former podcast guest Dan Blundell and a lot of very smart people on the, the sort of the battery technology side. I went down to Mexico for, for my first time. I met a lot of people in the mining space. You, you had never been to Mexico? I've never been to Mexico. So I've now been to Mexico and it was fun because of my accent is convincingly Argentine in Mexico. Okay, well. Um, then back through the U.S. and back here to Argentina and I'm off to Lima, at the end of next week. So uh, I'm a little travel weary, to, to be honest. Memory, turn your face to the moonlight. Hey, since this is our, our 50th episode and we are waxing uh, emotional about certain podcasts, I, I got a couple more shout outs. I mean, go for it, Joe. The, the, the two Father's Day episodes. Oh, yeah. I really loved, and that's with the family, Gali and, and uh, Nacho uh, and his dad, Hernan Solorio. And, uh, you know, the other thing, you just mentioned Dan. Dan's one of our favorites. Uh, 
So we, we've... Do you want to know a cool thing Dan did, what, too? What cool thing did Dan do? So you remember the battery that you gave me that I left on a couch in Santiago that traveled all the way up to um, the Salar de Atacama into Dan's hand. He brought it back to me at that conference, and he gave it to me, and it was fully charged. Was that the battery that Anthony C. didn't deliver to you? Is that the one we're talking about? Correct. Okay. All right. That is the one we're talking about. Okay. Yeah, and I'd also yeah, fully charged. I'd also give a shout out move. to 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 Ken Brinsden and you know Ken and Dale were on a podcast, but Ken's been on a couple times, and I just thought he he's an excellent podcast guest. Did did a lot. I mean, great answers. Uh, so a, sh- a shout out there and. I know I didn't really want to get into this because I would leave somebody out. And uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to leave the last Samurai of Brian out. That's for damn sure, because he's been on multiple episodes. Shout out to you, David. Um, so, you know, I've I've already covered, uh, I think, uh, pretty well covered. Um, I can't mention everybody, but I didn't want to get into trouble. So oh, I... I think I got most of my friends in there. Nacho. I said Nacho. Oh, yeah. The Father's Day podcast. Yeah, come on. Uh, well, look, Joe, if you get into trouble, I'll get your back. Okay. Um, so this is episode 50 of the Global Lithia podcast. Uh, we want to thank uh, our sponsor, Zalendez, who's re-upped uh, for another term. And uh, we'll be recording some new spots for them soon uh i can't wait and what else and oh you you ran into a good buddy of ours uh georgia ireland who is going to be is going to be a season three guest and how did you bump into george at an at at an event joe at the bar and i saw his name tag and i was like you're george ireland and he was like your podcast emily that's how it went yeah, it's gonna be a fun ep. I cannot wait. We've got some excellent programming in the in the old hopper, Joe. Well, I guess we will probably record in a studio again at uh, the Benchmark Cathodes Conference, uh, which is about five weeks hence. Five weeks. We probably do one in between that, or maybe two, but I don't know. We have to work out the technology and. We are going to have a new uh, company that's uh, going to be producing this. So a, a shout out to uh, my buddy in Austin, Texas, who gave us that name. And uh, we appreciate it. And uh, I think we're done for the evening. So We are done, Joe. If people want more Global Lithium, where can they find you? At Global Lithium. That was easy. On Twitter, you also are a prolific LinkedIn post writer. Um, I'm on link. Excuse me. I'm on Twitter at Lithium Podcast. I'm on LinkedIn, where you can actually find uh, some of the papers that are sort of lithium basics um, that I wrote with the Payne Institute at Colorado School of Mines and the Institute of the Americas. I'll have those up in Espanol within the next couple of days for all of you Spanish speakers. And then we can find the podcast at www.lithiumpodcast.com. And we are on iTunes. We are on um, Stitcher. And we are on most podcatching applications. And if we're not on yours, drop us a line and let us know. And before I say good night and good luck, which I'm about to say again in a minute. Spoiler. um, I will say that 
I think it was also interesting that we recorded in studios on five continents. That is pretty cool. Which when you think about it, when you think about it, I mean, for this uh, kind of, this was, the podcast was really kind of a, a tweeted item that took life. So thanks everybody for listening to the Global Lithium Podcast. And with that, we will say good night. Good night. And good luck. And good luck. This has been the Global Lithium Podcast with co-hosts Joe Lowry and Emily Hirsch. You can find more episodes of the podcast at lithiumpodcast.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for Joe or Emily, or a suggestion for a future episode topic, please send an email to globallithiumpodcast at gmail.com.